Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to episode 211 of the Falcoholic Live. I am your host, Kevin Knight, joined by my co-host Adnan Ikic at Say Which Way. Adnan, how are we doing tonight? Uh, doing well. You know, it's a uh, week is already halfway over. It's, it's, it's uh, as my as my late uncle used to say, when you get to the end of Wednesday, the week's pretty much done. The weekend's right around the corner. Yeah, yeah, we're over the hump, you know, the hump day commercial. Uh, we're, we're, all, we're over that uh, now going into the home stretch of the week here. Joining us on this adventure is Will McFadden at Will McFadden on the Twitters. Will, how we doing? I'm doing well, Kevin. Man, Adnan, I, I just, I wish I had had the opportunity to party with your uncle. He sounds like a, like a great dude to, to just hang out with. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a, it's a hell of a thing. Thursday and Friday are basically the new weekends. There you go. Why don't, you know, every day should just be the weekend. Let's just go to that. Like we do, we, we don't even need weekdays anymore. Just make them all weekends. There are no weekdays when you're unemployed. Well, that's a good point. Uh, very good point. So, well, um, we're, we're, we're taking down society next week. <laughs> Employment overrated, you know, money overrated. <laughs> That's yeah. save it for the financial podcast coming. You know, let's go back. Let's be hunter gatherers again. It's Hashtag like, personal finance takes. It's like yeah. that one Rick and Morty episode where he uh, devalued their currency from one to zero. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yep, I'll total do anarchy mm-hmm. for money. Yep. <laughs> what, wait, what's going me then? Oh my gosh, that's a good episode. It shows you how you know fragile our society truly is. But uh, we're off to a rip roaring. We're at a really good start here, guys. I promise <laughs> there are Falcons takes coming, as you can see from the title. But uh, if you didn't, you know, if you were if you were confused to open the show, I don't blame you. Uh, yeah, uh, welcome, welcome to the Falcoholic Live. Yeah. I just saw her viewership go from fifty to forty nine. There was yeah, someone. Yeah, we lost, we lost someone. Yeah, they're like, eh, I don't know about this. Uh, <laughs> but guys, welcome. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, we are going to talk about the Falcons' heroic, you know, nice, whatever, however you want to phrase it, comeback against the Rams. However, the comeback did fall short because the Falcons are zero and two. Um, but at least we saw some nice things towards the end of that game instead of the absolute dumpster fire that was like the first three quarters. Um, and we're going to talk about that game in detail with these guys. Uh, we're going to, we haven't really heard a ton about, uh, the Seahawks yet that that's going to be more for our game preview. So keep, keep an eye on that. Cause like I said, we don't have like, we only have like one day of practice reports to go off of, but, um, after that, we're going to get to the all-important question, which is, which 0-2 start is better? I liked Dave's roundtable, so we're going to piggyback off of that. Is the 2022 0-2 start 
in any way better than the 2021 0-2 start, which of course was also very bad. Um, but I think there are reasons to be a little bit more optimistic this year. So we'll get into some of those, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, I haven't heard from either of you guys about the game. I talked about it for about 45 minutes. So I will I will open the floor to you guys first, uh, Will, as as the uh, the principal guest tonight. Uh, what what are your thoughts? Like, did you feel better like at the end of that game than you did you know halfway through because of the comeback or did you still feel pretty disappointed because of the loss um you know i still felt pretty disappointed because of the loss i think i felt better it so it like it all comes down to right the culture the personality of the team all of that good stuff that is kind of mumbo jumbo until you know the moments that it isn't and i do think that all off season having talked about Hey, you know, we're expecting to compete, right? Like that was the the language from the team is yeah, everybody externally is saying we're rebuilding, but we don't view it that way. We're coming out here to compete. And yeah, we understand where we stand, but like New that's customers get our best deal. That's our mission. And we saw that on Sunday. So I felt better from that standpoint that it made me feel more like, okay, like that's not bull crap from from the organization. Like that is generally what I think Arthur Smith's philosophy is. And, you know, the three of us, we were all there. We saw him and, and spoke to him um, at the podium. Like he does seem very genuine in that kind of mindset. So I felt much better about the fight that the team showed. It didn't really mean much to me that the defense, yeah, they got turnovers, but like, that's kind of why they were able to stop the Rams. Let's not forget that they converted that third down that Darren Halden forced the fumble on. Like to me, they never really had any answers defensively for the Rams. And I think that's the biggest takeaway. Yeah. And then offensively, they still weren't able to really, I know the game script got away from them, but they didn't establish the run game or at least they weren't as effective outside of that first drive as they were um, against new Orleans. So like they got to clean that stuff up. I still like everybody I'm waiting to see Kyle Pitts in this offense. I think we'll see it this Sunday. So I, I liked it more from a culture kind of personality of team standpoint less so about, all right, is this team actually good? And was the first half more of a fluke? No, I think the first half is is a little bit more indicative and in that the second half, they got those turnovers and made some big splash plays. Credit to them. It doesn't make me feel a whole lot better. Yeah, I mean, you you like, obviously, the blocked punt because, you know, Troy Anderson, That we harped on that all offseason. Like, Troy Anderson might not play on defense a lot, and if he does, you know, might not look great. But special teams, he's going to be great right off the bat. And we saw that already just completely blew through the line for that block punt, which was a crucial play. Didn't end up, unfortunately, leading to the win, but it was absolutely crucial in getting the Falcons back to a respectable score. Um, you love to see that. Uh, he's he's going to continue to be good there. Um, but yeah, I agree. The, the play of the defense in this one, I think, was the most concerning because the offense eventually got it together. But um, the defense really did not. Um, it was pretty concerning, but I will, I will allow, uh, Adnan to get a word in here before I, I give any more takes because I've given a lot of takes over the past few days, uh, between the film review and the, the post game show. So Adnan, what, what are your thoughts on the game? How'd you feel about the comeback and the, and, uh, you know, yeah, we'll start with the comeback. That's kind of what we're on. Uh, no, I definitely echo everything Will says. And I know that that's a lot more boring when, you know, it's, a, it's not a conflict or anything, but no, he's, he's completely, he's co- completely correct. It, it feels great from, from a culture building standpoint, because that's what you want. You know, the team isn't buying in clearly isn't buying in to the outside noise. You know, they're not buying into us. They're not buying into the media saying, Oh, this is like a, a three, four five, six, one team. It, 
I still think it will be, but it's really good. There's a difference, I think, between a loss where the team completely lays down versus a, a game where they're down 28 to three and then come all the way back um, and, you know, give a good scare to the defending champions. And, you know, consider all of the circumstances. The Falcons were coming off of a highly emotional loss to the Saints. They they could have easily, you know, hung their heads down 28 to three. They just went on this West Coast trip um, against a Rams team that's that had a lot more rest than they did. The Rams played on Thursday night last week against, against the Bills. Um, the Rams were, you know, looking to bounce back after after the Bills pretty much pulled their pants down on on opening night on national television. But it's uh it, it's really good to see that the team didn't give up. Um and you know they kept fighting fighting until the end. But Will's also completely correct in that I don't think that the score line is indicative of how good the team I don't think this team is uh you know only four points worse than than the Los Angeles Rams. <laughs> uh, they, they had the blocked punt, which was, you know, fantastic. I think that was their first uh, blocked punt return for a touchdown since 1990, uh, is what is what the Fox broadcast said, uh, which has been a, a, a very long time. Um, I don't. Troy Anderson wasn't even alive back when when the team had a blocked punt for a touchdown last. <laughs> That's true. Well, I, I wasn't alive. Back yeah, then. it's wild that it's been that long. I know they've had some blocked punts, but yeah, I guess not one that was returned for a touchdown. So. Um, yeah. And the other play is uh, I'm really, really happy for Darren Hall, who uh, forced that fumble and who recovered against who recovered it against Cooper Cup. But yeah, no, that's correct. Like, remember, they still that was still the Rams uh, converting that big third down and Darren Hall just having a moment of brilliance where he stripped Cooper Cup, who is, in my opinion, a top two wide receiver in the NFL right now. And wow, hot take. I say, it's scorching. <laughs> it's between him and Justin Jefferson right now, you know, even a hotter take right there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and you know, he went back, he recovered it. You know, Arthur Blank was happy on the sideline. I'm sure I'm sure we were all jumping up and down in our living rooms when that happened. Because it's like, yeah, well, shit, we may even do this. And then, you know, we didn't do this. But yeah, uh I'm glad I'm glad the team had that fight they went on uh, a 24 to 3 run uh, in the late third or uh and throughout the fourth quarter Drake London looked fantastic like he looks as good as advertised two games in well, I'm pretty sure we'll get to we'll get to some Kyle Pitts takes um <laughs> but yeah Marcus Mariota made his mistakes like I I think it's it's unacceptable to not at the very least give to hold the ball for as long as he did on that last play, you know, I think you need to at least give your guys a chance and, you know, you still have Aaron Donald lurking in the backfield. Like you knew you weren't going to make as much time and uh, as you wanted. And also that interception to Jalen Ramsey, I, I don't know what he was thinking there, just throwing it in challenging Ramsey with, uh, I think the receiver was, was a Kadero Hodge. Brian Edwards. Or, or yeah, yeah, Brian Edwards, which, I mean, it was that's like fine coverage so well was, yeah it he threw it way too throw. high like if he yeah. if he like he Edwards didn't have a chance at like, it yeah, yeah. right in yeah. his lap I think yeah. yeah I think it was just one of those I gotta trust that my guy's gonna yeah. beat it but oh, he didn't I, really see I don't Edwards for that at all I I put more of the blame on Mariota and I thought yeah. you know he got away from pressure and you know he challenged Jalen Ramsey and he threw it a bit high and Jalen Ramsey made him pay for it 
Um, so, you know, if the Falcons don't make those mistakes, then, you know, maybe they even pull it out and win it. But, you know, other than that, I think Mariota managed the game pretty well. But still, that's that's a big caveat of two, you know, huge mistakes. Well, the interception more so because you never know what the Hail Mary. Yeah. But, yeah, it's uh, it, it was great to see the team, you know, put a scare in them, put up a good fight. And it makes us feel a lot better. But personally, I think that the team put up that fight because of some individual pieces of brilliance from Anderson, Lorenzo Carter, who recovered that touchdown, who recovered the, the pump block for a touchdown, and especially Darren Hall, who gave the offense a chance pretty much single-handedly on that Cooper Cup um, reception and fumble. But, yeah, it's uh, it, it was good to see, but at the end of the day, it's, it still goes down as a loss. I'm not mad at this loss, but it does compound that Saints loss even more because yeah. now you're 0-2. I don't think a single 0-2 team made the playoffs last season. We we know that it's uh it's that dreaded start in NFL history. Yep. And you know that makes this game this week maybe a September must win if you have hopes for the playoffs. Which I'm sure they will say that they do. I don't know how serious the belief is that they will make the playoffs, but I'm sure they would like to avoid 0-3 no matter what. Um, yeah. I mean, I I you guys raised a lot of good points. In my film review, I, I raised a lot of questions with some of the plays. I, I thought that the Rams really did a good job at beating what Dean Pease was covering, and they did it consistently. Um, they really confused the Falcons' defense by lining up Ben Skronik uh, as a fullback, the wide receiver. Um, and they did it really intelligently, in my opinion, because they used Skronik only to block like receivers. So like they weren't asking him to be a fullback and block linebackers, they were like, no, 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 Skronik, run out there and go block and go block like a cornerback uh, as a wide receiver. So them playing a wide receiver at fullback really forced them into like a weird personnel situation, and um, the Falcons didn't really have a good answer for it. It seemed to confuse their whole defense. Um, you know, the they had Cooper Cup line up in the backfield on one play, and he that was the one where he just had that easy touchdown where nobody even covered him out of the backfield. Um, so it just, I think the Rams, you know, Sean McVay is, is going to do this. Like he's going to stress out your defense and call some interesting stuff. And I don't think the Falcons handled it well at all. I think they basically got destroyed by it pretty much all game. Um, and like, it certainly helps when you're the Rams and you can just out, out talent everyone on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, there was really, there's really not much excuse for the Falcons not getting more pressure because the Rams were starting two reserve players on their offensive line and, um, you know, they got the ball out quick, but still the pressure was nowhere near as effective as it was against the Saints. Um, so that a was a concern. Easier, yeah. A lot easier to out-talent the Falcons than it is the Bills, as, uh, <laughs> yeah. as we saw on Thursday night. Yeah, exactly. So it was, well, but I, yeah, go ahead. I No, I also think that that plays into it a little bit. And it was something like Arthur Smith brought up after after the game in the post-game press conference that I kind of found interesting in, and, or maybe it was Monday, but it was essentially like a pick your poison type of deal where when you're going up against an offense that has Cooper Cup, that has Allen Robinson, that has Tyler Higby, that has a quarterback like Matthew Stafford, who is, you know, as among veterans, like seasoned guys who have been in this league for a long time, like he's definitely up there. Um, and he knows exactly where to go with the football on any given play. I think that they made the decision look, we can go out there and try to play some man coverage and try to match up Cooper Cup with AJ Terrell or try to do some of these things. But if we get burned and these guys are capable of burning us, it could be six. 
I really do think, and, and their play kind of backed this up, that they they chose to go heavy zone, yeah. that they chose to, you know, really try to keep everything in front of them, let them like kind of chunk their way down the field and make them put together a long drive. They just can't play zone coverage that poorly, right? Like zone <laughs> yeah. coverage doesn't mean just giving up completions left and right. And when you see Matthew Stafford, 14 of 16 in the in the first half, 13 of his first passes are all completions. Like, yep. You can't have that. And that is where I think this team, and I will still say, like, I think they're a better man coverage defense than they are zone coverage, even though, you know, Casey Awards history is in zone coverage. And even though like some of the players like AJ Terrell obviously is a long history of, of zone coverage, but I think they're better in man. I think they should play more They've man. I think better. that helps them. Yeah. I think that helps them get more pressure on all this stuff. So I, I don't know how much confusion, like I don't know if the Rams like just put on a master class and out schemed Atlanta's defense. I think part of it was by design to allow them to to get those completions underneath. They just need to be a lot better about either getting picks like Michael Walker did when dropping back, or, you know, you got to be much quicker to make these tackles and really make them earn every single yard. And I don't think they did that very well on Sunday. No, the problem was when you're going to play that much zone, you have to tackle really well. You have, to, you have right. to rally and tackle. And the tackling was probably the biggest issue in this game. Um, just a yep. lot of guys bouncing off. And Cooper Cup's really good after the catch. I mean, that's really his strength. So that's that's part of it. Um, but it wasn't just Cooper Cup that had trouble tackling. It's pretty much everyone. So can't have that. Like, that's the one issue I have with Michael Walker, who I think has looked like good diagnosing plays, good in coverage, had that pick where he really sold the run fit super well and then dropped back. And, and got yep. that interception, his tackling has been really poor. Like, that's that's the one thing that I have an issue with because I think he's the full package otherwise. Like, he's in the right place. He's there to yeah. make a play. He's quick to get in the backfield when he's run blitzing or regular blitzing or whatever, and he's in the right place in coverage. But his ta- he's just not finishing tackles, and you're not going to play linebacker very long if he can't finish tackles, which is why they're so reliant on Rashawn Evans, especially against the run right now. And, um, you know, I... It's tackling is one thing you absolutely can fix. Like that's one of the things you can really coach up. It's not necessarily that complicated, but um, you know, it needs to happen soon or you're going to have problems playing that much zone. Um, And also like Cooper cup's going to line up in the slot a lot. And the Falcons currently don't really have like a solidified slot player. Like they've sort of made a point of like rotating like 50 guys into the slot. Like Eric Harris played it a bunch. Uh, D. Alford played at some, Mike Ford played at some, like they don't really have like a slot defender right now. And I wonder if rotating that player constantly is creating a bit of communication chaos back there. Um, you know, I, I mean, you're always going to rotate guys like, cause sometimes you're going to play dime and you have an extra guy. So you, all these guys need to be ready to go, but still there's not really any consistency. And some of that might be the Rams being cheeky with their personnel and, you know, full back wide receiver stuff. Um, but you know, maybe some of these issues get better when Isaiah Oliver comes back. Um, you know, if he can sort of solidify that slot position, that might help a little bit. But yeah, I have a lot more problems with the defense. But like, again, the defense did sort of keep it like the, if the offense had been able to score at all, it wouldn't have been that big a deal. Like, yes, they gave up 31 points over the course of the game. But the offense, if they were even just scoring a little bit in the first half, like even if they had one touchdown... This would have been, you know, tie game, Falcons leading at the end. They don't miss that field goal. So, like, the offense really needed to pull their weight early in this game, and they did not. So it made the defense look a lot worse when they were just getting nothing on these drives uh, into Rams territory. So, you know, it was sort of a full meltdown. (laughs) Well, I mean, like, Arthur Smith talked about it today in his press conference. It's really, like, he said almost the story of this season, the two losses could probably just come down to third downs in the red zone specifically. 
like you marry those two key stats that everybody talks about it's like the falcons have not been where they want to be on third down i think they're kind of middle of like 19th or something on third down in the red zone kind of the same case they're 50 percent conversion in the red zone but it's like those two key things together and coming away with field goals. The Falcons actually, I think are ninth in, in points per game right now, which yes. is good, but that's all because of young way yeah. and, and defensive touch. <laughs> and defense touch. Yeah. And special yeah. teams. Um, yep. But yeah, it's, it's like they are converting field goals and they're giving up touchdowns because their red zone defense has not been very good. So you're absolutely right. Like that's, that is going to be, I think a really key on Sunday because the Seahawks are the second best red zone defense, at least so far. Now, I don't think the Seahawks defense is all that good, but statistically in that area, they've been very good. And I think that that is a key thing. We talk about the offense generally by and large being pretty decent. I mean, that like they, they at least look competent. They're not as explosive as I think we would like them to be, but maybe that changes if they start getting Kyle Pitts a little bit more involved, but really it's third down and the red zone specifically where they've kind of had their shortcomings. And when you lose two games by five combined points, those are probably a good place to start looking for answers. Yeah. yeah. The, I think the Rams were held to a field goal one time uh, in this game when they went into the red zone. What They had, what, five red zone trips? Stafford yeah. had three touchdowns. And it's, and- a, it's all different ways. Like, they can run the ball right up the middle for a touchdown or, you know, that quick fade to Allen Robinson for the first touchdown of the game. Like, teams are throwing – well in the red zone against the Falcons and they're kind of running it right up the middle when they want to as well. Yeah. And that was an issue against the saints as well. Michael Thomas had two red zone touchdowns uh, during that big comeback that they had where the Falcons, it, it just felt like when they got down there, it just felt like a matter of, of when, not if, yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, especially on that last drive, I even remember thinking the saints had what four minutes on the clock. And I'm, I was thinking to myself, all right, like, I'd rather they just score quick here uh, so then we at least like have the ball um but you know that ended up that ended up uh, burning the Falcons because they didn't convert the two point conversion that wasn't even from the Falcons defense that was just a terrible play call yeah yeah uh it like it's also some of it's been bad luck too like you know like the, those two Michael Thomas touchdowns I mean it's like you couldn't throw it any better from Jameis Winston. It's like literally a perfect pass. Um, like Terrell's playing it exactly how we should play it, getting his hand up and it's just perfect thread, the needle pass and terrific catches. So it's like, you know, people are like, Oh, Terrell's playing poorly. It's, I mean, it, he's going up against <laughs> elite wide receivers and elite and really high level quarterback play on those passes. He's given up, you know, it's, it's going to happen. Like it happens to everyone. Like Jalen Ramsey got his ass kicked in week one, you know, just, and people were like, Oh, does Jalen Ramsey suck? No. Jalen Ramsey doesn't suck. Like it, it's just like corners get beat. The best corners, especially because teams they're going to be lined up one on one a lot. And like we need Terrell to start like making some of those plays. But he almost had a pick against the Rams in this last game. Like he was very he was right mm-hmm. there. So like he he's there. I think he's playing fine. It's just like it's some bad luck there. Um, and just you're also playing two what are probably going to be two pretty good offenses. Obviously the Saints didn't play well this week against the Bucks, but. Bucks have a very good defense. The Falcons do not. So <laughs> could be that too. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. Um, trying to think the other point I was going to make. Um, yeah, the, the run game was quite poor in this one. I thought the blocks were not there at all. Um, I thought the offensive line. Greg gains for the yeah. Rams, like single-handedly ruined yeah. Yeah. one drive. <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, and they were, like, double-teaming him. He was still just, like, knifing through the line. Like, um, I didn't think the offensive line played well. I thought the protection calls were missed multiple times. Like, multiple times there were free blitzers get, getting to, to Mariota. Um, you know, we on the one the Bobby Wagner sack, like, mm-hmm. both Wilkinson and, and Dahlman just, t- just, like, slid over to the right, and it was just a free path for... Like, th- they were double-teaming someone. So, like... Eh, and like I just don't know how you miss Bobby Wagner literally standing, like in the B gap. Like he's like you you have to call yeah. that protection. So um, you I know, think maybe... Jake Matthews even like looks over. Yeah, he's, he's like, like uh, like... <laughs> he's kind of like, all right, you guys see this right? And then the ball snapped, and he puts like one hand yeah. up that way, and is like, all right, here we go. <laughs> yeah, um, you know Jake Matthews can do no wrong, so I know it wasn't his fault. But and it honestly, no. it's not Wilkinson's fault either. It's not his responsibility to decide who he blocks i mean he could freelance it i guess like if he disagreed with the call but um usually you don't do that but i i this is probably and like the snapping i think has been an issue over these first it two has. games as well yeah. so and this yeah with, uh, i mean the falcons recovered it but yeah they hit, you know, hit you, kyle you, pitts yeah and, and there was that one play that doesn't well, count as a target yeah <laughs> <laughs> there was don't tell that to Arthur Smith but um there was also that play it wasn't a snap but remember when Mariota slipped on that fourth down oh yeah it still it still ended up succeeding that was like a hell of yeah, a play but, yeah. but Drake London is coming up wide open in the end yeah. zone right behind Parker Hesse who I think is it was it first or Hesse it was Hesse it was, yeah. it was Hesse Drake London's wide open. If yeah. if Marcus Mariota does not slip there, it's a touchdown, touchdown. and that drive ended in a field goal. Like that's yeah. that's the difference in the game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, obviously, yeah. the Rams probably don't do this. Like we could just play from there, but it was a great play. It just it was another moment where going back specifically and rewatching it, I was like, yeah, it was like, ah, uh, son of a bitch. Like yeah, Drake exactly. London is wide open right behind him. Yeah, and like that's a good segue into talking about Mariota, um, because. Uh- but I do, yeah, go ahead. I yeah, yeah, go ahead. Make a point. yeah, yeah. One thing I will say I am impressed with with the Falcons overall, uh, a positive, is their run defense has for the most part looked pretty good in these first two games. Sure, Henderson mm-hmm. had his moments and you know he he had his plays. Mostly that one touchdown where every single block, every single Falcons defender got annihilated on the block. But yeah. Yeah. But on 25 carries combined between Henderson and Akers. They totaled what 91 yards, and that's after the Falcons pretty much shut down Alvin Kamara in week one. Yep. Um, so one, one thing I will say is the Falcons have looked very, very good handling the run, the opposing run game, even though their run game wasn't really as effective this week, uh, as we would have hoped for it to be. Al, uh, Algier and Patterson didn't really they didn't have too many lanes to run through, Algier especially. Uh, and, you know, they combined 71 yards on 20 carries. But, you know, I, I, I've been impressed at the very least with that facet of the defense. Now, if only we can well, we can get the passing defense up to that level yeah. as well, we'll have something cooking. Yeah, that would be good uh, to get that. And, you know, the run game, they need it to, to be functional. Uh, like, they, they, they are going to rely on that aspect, and it didn't really work against the Rams super well. But, uh, you know, we'll see. Um, because they did succeed against the Saints, who have just a really good run defense usually. So I think mm-hmm. there's a chance that they that they can get this up and running. It just didn't work out super well this week. But um, pivoting over to the Mariota discussion, some people are like already calling for Ritter to start, which is ridiculous. Like um, some people are saying Mariota hasn't done anything wrong, which is also ridiculous. But like 
what we all understand, I think most of us understand what Mariota is supposed to be, um, which is he's supposed to shepherd this offense to 2023 and keep everything, keep the lights on, keep it running. And, and, you know, I think he's done better than that. Like, I think he's been better than a game manager, but you can also see that he's, he's limited in where he's going to target and he doesn't really, he's not a super aggressive thrower. Like he's generally going to take the, the easier completion, which is not always a bad thing, but we're not really seeing a lot of contested catches and, Notably, Marietta outside the numbers has been pretty poor. Um, he's been very good over the middle of the field, targeting guys there. But in terms of the the, the edges of the field where you're going to see guys like Kyle Pitts a lot of times have success, not really a lot of success there. Um, Will, what do you think about Mariota's start? Obviously, he's provided a lot with his legs too, which is certainly something. Um, but what do you, you think yeah. about his start? And are you are you calling for Ritter yet? Or are you still, you know... <laughs> no. on the Mariota no, bus yeah <laughs> it, it reminds me of there's there's a bill burr skit about basically just like when you're at a family holiday or gathering or whatever when you talk to somebody a, a family member who's like in their 80s or whatever and they just start saying some like racist stuff or what and it's kind of like well what did you think they thought like what like why were you what did you think that they thought they are just from a different time so it's like what did people think that they were getting in marcus Mariota, and what about what they've gotten surprises them because it's exactly what I think I expected to see. Like, this is exactly what I thought we would get in Marcus Mariota. And I think that it's totally fair to, he is a game manager, but that's not a bad thing. I don't understand why game manager kind of gets this weird stigma because sure, like you're not elevating everybody around you, but you're also maybe elevating the confines of the, or like you're elevating the offense by playing within the confines of the offense. And so a game manager manages the game. He kind of knows his limitations, but he knows what the offense is trying to do. And that's what I think Marcus Mariota does really well. And he has the benefit of the legs. So he's just a different type of game manager, but his legs are as important as anything. The Falcons, according to True Media, have the number one offensive successful play rate in the NFL right now. And 61% of their first downs have gone for four or more yards, which is also number one in the NFL. So I think Marcus Mariota plays a huge role in that. So just because it's it's not Patrick Mahomes rolling out and, and kind of falling out of bounds and making insane throws, like I don't even know if that offense would be this or would be that with Patrick Mahomes in it because like that's not the style of football that Arthur Smith really is trying to play. And I think it's a complicated style of football. I think that people underestimate just how hard the quarterback position is in this league. I, like I'm trying to get better about understanding offensive play calls and like how they're formatted and formulated and all of that good stuff. And just the sequencing and everything in a playbook. Like I'm just trying to get better and understand that stuff. It's so incredibly complicated. It's so hard. And I think that people are just ready to say, well, like let's throw the rookie out there and, and like see what we've got. He may not be ready for that. You're doing a disservice. And in this kind of quick, whole everybody's ready to move on as soon as like one year doesn't go well with somebody i don't blame the coaching staff for not wanting to put him out there before he's genuinely ready they would rather take the hit and the like kind of pr media hit than put somebody out there and do them a disservice i really believe that so yeah a marks mariota has not been a problem b desmond ritter may not be ready he may be ready he looked great in the preseason but that's ultimately not for us to to kind of determine we should trust this organization to do what's right because they have more incentive than anybody else to find out what Desmond Ritter can do out there on the field. 
And if they're not putting him out there, then we have to trust that there's probably a good reason for that. And oh, by the way, Marcus Mariota is not the problem. Yeah, no, I, I agree <laughs> with you. And, you know, I know um, Mad Tom K in the chat basically saying, you know, keep in mind, these are two defenses that are believed to be pretty good in the Rams and the yeah. Saints. So like, that's a tough, when we talked about it before the season, like this is a brutal two game stretch. The Falcons came out of it scoring the ninth most points. Now that does include seven from a uh, special teams touchdown to two from a safety. But like, you know, that's even if you take that off, that's probably still like top 15 offense against mm-hmm. two of the better defenses in the NFL. So like the offense hasn't really been the huge issue here. Um, I'm interested to see what they do against like the Seahawks who are a pretty bad defense. Um, like if they can make noise there, then I think we'll feel a lot better. Um uh, do you if know? Don't, who, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Do you know who I blame for us being so spoiled <laughs> regarding and so impatient right now? Matt Ryan, that for, bum. Matt Ryan. Like, <laughs> I, I 100% blame Matt Ryan for that, and through no fault of his own. But you know, think of the last time the Falcons were in this position where you know you have a new, a legitimate rookie who you're legitimately expecting to start. Like none of the players in the Matt, none of the other quarterbacks the team brought in in the Matt Ryan era was ever gonna were ever gonna amount to anything more than backups. You know, no disrespect to Parker Wilson or Dominique Davis or Matt Shaw, but those guys were all brought in to be backups. But remember the last time the Falcons were in this position, it was Matt Ryan coming in week one, first professional pass was a, a 62-yard touchdown. Uh, you know, they absolutely curb stomped the Lions, went 11 and 5, which is what nobody expected in the NFL. And Matt Ryan completely changed the way, not only the Falcons, but he he and Joe Flacco changed the way the NFL looked at rookie quarterbacks. Yep. You know, that became the era up until this year. I think this was the the first year since 2008 or since 2007, where there wasn't a single rookie quarterback to start week one. Yeah. Um, but in, in that time, it became, it became a game of, all right, the rookie comes in, we have to fully take advantage of that rookie contract. And, you know, the rookie quarterback has to be good from the, from the start, you know, fr- from the beginning immediately. That's not the way the NFL has operated throughout most of its history. Before Matt Ryan and Joe Flacco, tore the league apart in 2008 you know rookies came and they sat for a year they sat for two Aaron Rodgers sat for two years behind Brett Favre um and I I think that the NFL finally or teams finally started realizing that all right maybe this isn't the way to to go maybe this isn't sustainable maybe when the Chiefs had a lot of success with Patrick Mahomes sitting in week uh, sitting in his first season behind Alex Smith uh, I think that was kind of, uh, you, you know, a, a shake, you, you know, you're shaking these teams and being like, all right, like we, we can have success this way. It doesn't have to be immediate, immediate dividends. And now I think where, where it began for Matt Ryan, I think fans are expecting Desmond Ritter to come and and to light the world up and to lead the team to 10, 11 wins the same way that Ryan did in 2008, but that's just not feasible. Uh, for one, the team around him isn't as good as the team around Matt Ryan in 2008. That was uh, that was one of the best Falcons offensive lines we've seen in a long, long time. I think they gave up, what, 18 sacks all season, which was a league low that year. Uh, you had Michael Turner, who 
you know, was an absolute engine of this offense and who, who really, who really helped Matt Ryan in his first few seasons. No disrespect to Cordero Patterson or Tyler Algier or Damian Williams, but they're not as good as, as prime 2008 Michael Turner. However, however, <laughs> stat for you, Cordero Patterson, uh, the first player since Michael Turner in 2008 to have 100, 100 plus yards and a touchdown in the season opener for the Falcons. Hey, well, there you yeah. go. Yeah, elite yeah. performance by Cordero Patterson yeah. in that yeah. game. Yeah. But um, but yeah, and even beyond, like Roddy White was a Pro Bowler that year. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he was coming off a 1,000 yard season. The Falcons just did. Did fans really want? Do fans? Defense really think that it was a good idea to throw Ritter in against the Saints in week one and then against the defending champions on the road in week two like that? I think that would have been just a, a terrible idea. No matter how good he looked in the preseason, I, I don't think that the team ha- would have had a better chance to win with Ritter than they would have with Mar- Marcus Mariota. And like Will said, you would have been doing him a disservice. And I think the team would be doing him a disservice right now if they inserted him in you know too early like I, i've i've been sticking with my prediction that when this season gets out of hand and when there really isn't expectations for the playoffs and pressure to make the playoffs i think that's when the team will insert desmond ritter to see what he's got and i think that's the best time to do so because you know you want to at the very least take that off of his plate and see how he does you know, in, in an NFL setting without that expectation from the fan base of, all right, he needs to be our savior who's going to lead us to the postseason in year one, the way that Matt Ryan was in 2008. Like, that doesn't happen. That That's, that's such a rare phenomenon. And, you know, I, I think we'll see what he's got. And hopefully it'll be hopefully it'll be very good. Hopefully it'll be everything we expected. And I think the coaching staff is – is expecting to get to get that criticism of oh why didn't you put him in earlier if he did if he does do very well um but yeah i i don't think that they care about that at all and i think they are legitimately doing what's best for desmond ritter but at the same time we we do still need to see what we have in desmond ritter especially if if the team is at what is at three and seven three and eight at some point in this season and i i think we will get that eventually yeah yeah, I agree. Like it's, they don't care. Like it, that's a good problem to have when people are criticizing you for not putting in the rookie like sooner. Like it's like, oh, Desmond is so good that like people are mad at you for not playing him sooner. Like I think they would be happy to have that uh, criticism, <laughs> just because. I mean, in, in the spectrum of criticism, that one means that there's good things happening elsewhere. So I would take that every time. But yeah, they're gonna wait until Ritter's ready, um, and they're probably gonna wait till they're eliminated from the playoffs. Is that week 10, week 11, week 12, week 13? Like, I don't know. Probably closer to week 10 than week 13, 14. But, you know, it just it it also depends on the rest of the division. Like, if the Bucks just run away with it, Falcons could be eliminated pretty quickly. Um, you know, it also depends on the rest of the NFC, right? Like, if the rest of the NFC sucks, then you there's like, oh, well, you could get in at 7, 8, you know, 7, and 9. Which you, you I think that'll probably be the case. <laughs> it could like, very well be. You know. yeah. But it, it may also come down to, like, if Desmond Ritter proves that he's ready, maybe the team does it. Like, I mean, it could be, we're all expecting that the only way he gets in there is because the Falcons either are so bad that Marcus Marietta loses his job, or they're just so bad that it makes no more sense to really kind of keep playing Marcus Mariota. But the 
positive spin here is that maybe just throughout practice, like maybe with the limited reps that he's getting each week, like he's just getting a bigger and bigger piece of the pie that he's really impressing them in the room. Like there's a chance that he just develops and earns the job. Like there, that could also happen as well. It's just, I always like to liken this back to the real world, right? So people can kind of put it into context of like their, their own lives. It'd be like starting a new job and a month in it's like, all right, we want you to present this big project to like our executive leadership team. And it's like, you're just probably not ready for that. You probably don't know the 15 little nuances of the intricacies of whatever you're presenting. You probably don't even know all the people on your team yet. You don't know the executive leadership team. That's for sure. It's like, you just need to get this kid to figure out everything that he's doing. He's just out of college. He's 22, 23 years old. I mean, like this is a lot to throw at him. He's lucky that he's got the benefit of Marcus Mariota here to help teach him so that he can learn from Marcus Mariota's mistakes. You can sit in there in the room and watch the coaching staff, watch Dave Ragone, watch TJ Yates, watch whoever is in there and say, look, Marcus, don't do it this way. And that whole time, Desmond Ritter is sitting there and absorbing that as well. So that when, by the time he gets out there, hopefully he's not making those same mistakes and hopefully he's not, you know, then getting down on himself or whatever the team or our confidence, what have you, he's already seen somebody else make those mistakes. That's why Marcus Mariota is here. And we need to let him be here for that reason. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I agree. Like, I think if they think at any point that Desmond Ritter gives them a better chance of winning a game, than Marcus Mariota, then Desmond Ritter will play. Like, if they legitimately think that at any point, then he will just be playing. But when that will happen is really hard to predict because, again, I don't think Marcus Mariota is playing poorly. So it seems more likely that Ritter's path probably has more to do with the rest of the situation. You know, like, they're not worried about making the playoffs anymore or something like that. But it could, at some point, those two things might coalesce and hit at the same point. It also might be like, oh, well, then actually Ritter's just looking so good in camp that we have to play him. Or it's like, oh, wow, we're out of it after like six, like seven weeks because we're 0-7, so we're going to go ahead and put Ritter in even if he's not ready. So um, it'll be interesting to see when it happens. I think we all believe that it will. But, um, you know, we'll see. And George is doing a two-part donation, so we're going to give George a second for the second part to come in before I read it. But... Um, Anything else on this particular game you guys want to touch on before we move on to the big question of the night? Not really in yeah, particular. I think we've covered it pretty well, but yeah, yeah we're ready to move on to week three. But, yeah, um, uh, I, yeah. I, I just like to say that it was a valiant comeback, but nobody comes back from down 28 to three. Yeah, nobody ever. It's never happened before. Not that I can recall. So <laughs> thanks, Adnan. Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> So the big question tonight, and and Dave Choate, the boss man, did a roundtable about it. I thought that it was a great question, so I'm going to steal his topic. Yeah. It's, it's, it was good. Good question. I agree. Um, the Falcons went 0-2 last year. You guys right, might remember. They also are 0-2 this year. But is this 0-2 team better than the 2021 version? Um, now, statistically speaking, the answer is obviously yes. In terms of DVOA, they're just year like light years better in terms of point differential. The Falcons were minus 49 in point differential after week two last year. They're minus five right now, which is very respectable. Um, in fact, that might be the best point differential of any 0-2 team right now. But um, small victories, you know. Uh, but 
I am curious, Adnan, I'll, I'll go to you first. Do you do you think this is a better 0-2 start than last year's 0-2 start, or do you think that it's semantics and both teams suck? Um, well, 0-2 is 0-2 at the end of the day, yeah. but um, that's not the question. Um, yeah, I, I think that the team is the team is a lot better, and I think that's what we were expecting this season, um, that the team would be better than last year, but with with a poor record because the schedule is a lot more brutal this season and they're not facing, you know, maybe the worst slate of starting quarterbacks on, on any team schedule the way that they were last year. But, yeah, the team was completely competitive. Um, they looked really, really good. They didn't get blown out in either of the games. I think the team so far has played four really good quarters and they've played four quarters that have been terrible. And I think it's just very, very unlucky or partially unlucky for them to be 0-2 and not 1-1 and as a result. You know, they, they played amazing for the first three quarters against the Saints, and then they blew it in the fourth quarter. And they were terrible in the first three quarters against the Rams, and they couldn't quite come all the way back in the fourth quarter. Um, but this team this team looks like it, it, it will be able to compete with, with a lot of teams. Um, I think that the players are buying into into what uh, Arthur Smith and Dean Pease are selling. Um, the the players are full of fight. You know, we saw that in in the past game against the uh, against the Rams. And you know, I think uh, I predicted that this team would probably win five games, but it will be a five and twelve season that you can so, sort of even be even be proud of, or at least as proud as possible of a five win season where you know they're in games they're they're giving it their all they're fighting but at the end of the of the day they just don't quite have the talent uh to overcome some of these opponents and you know i think that was to be expected just given the fact that they have what how much 60 75 million dollars in in dead cap hit if you count Deion jones's 20 million as well i know that's not technically a dead cap hit but it, it might as well be um so uh, I feel like I feel like Fontenot and Arthur Smith haven't really had the opportunity to to build this team the way that they would want to and the way that the way that uh, it, they should. I think we'll, we'll finally get some of that next off season, and we'll finally be able to evaluate them in next season and in the coming years. But you know, I definitely think that this team. Yeah, I, I think I think they'll make us proud for the most part, and I, I I like where where this project is going. Even though I don't like some of Arthur Smith's quotes to the media, I th- I think he's a I think he's doing a good job of of steering the ship in the correct direction. And e- even if this team loses more games this year than they did last year, I think they can still come away saying that they were a better team. And I think that that's all you can ask for in year two. Because remember last year, they had the worst point difference out of any seven-win team, would have had the worst point difference out of any six-win team. And, you know, last year they got absolutely destroyed by the Eagles in week one. Like that was an outright embarrassment. And then in week two, they did fight back a little bit against the Patriots, not the Patriots, against the Buccaneers, fighting Tom Brady. Tom Brady, yeah, yeah. And and they uh, they ended up getting blown out in that game as well. And they they kind of steered the ship in the right direction against a poor schedule moving forward um, after that. But you know, so far, 
Um, nothing to hang your head about against the Rams. Some stuff to hang your head about against the Saints, but at the end of the day, that was still a very, very close, uh, very close defeat that came down to, you know, a blocked field goal uh, at the very end, albeit a very long field goal. But this team looks like, I would say, not only a better 0-2 team than last year, but maybe even the best 0-2 team in the league so far out of the teams that are winless uh, based on just the vacuum of the first two games that, that they played. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree with you. Like, clearly, statistically, they're better, and, and you certainly like that they've been competitive in two games. That's sort of where, where I'm sort of landing. But, I, Will, your thoughts on that, too? Do you think you think this iteration of the team is meaningfully better than the 0-2 iteration last year? I definitely do, because I think it's more in the mold of what the coaching staff actually wants their team to look like. Um, that's been... Kind of a big theme. I think Mike Rothstein's been kind of following and pulling that thread a little bit so far through the first two weeks is like, Arthur Smith, is this what you want your offense to look like? And he he has said, yeah, you know, he's been pretty pleased, I think, with the design of the offense, with the performance of the offense. So, you know, I think that he still wants to hit more of those explosive plays, but that is the biggest difference to me in these two teams. It's it, They're two different teams and it's almost not worth comparing them, but because this team is better than that team yeah sure like let's compare it because this squad is the floor is just better they're they're just a more i think for a team that has had as many ups and downs as adnan just alluded to like they're weirdly a consistent team i feel like and you know I, i don't know how to fully make sense of both of those things being true at the same time but there's just like a baseline level of competency i think certainly on the offensive side of the ball and then defensively, I, I don't yet know if we know fully what to make of it because defense is so reactionary to offenses and they did just see two very different offensive types of, of schemes. And so, you know, what we're going to get in Seattle is a little bit more akin to what they just saw with the Rams. So I will be curious to see, is it going to be heavy zone? I have a suspicion that it will because Geno Smith, you know, likes to check it off short and they have not had any success doing that. But all across the board, I think on the defense, I like the talent much better than I did last year. I think they're playing at a much higher level. The offensive line is benefiting greatly from this new offensive look. So they are vastly improved. I mean, it feels so long ago that Jalen Mayfield was giving up six sacks in the season opener. Uh, And I mean, I, I think that Elijah Wilkinson has done a really admirable job so far at left guard and handling some pretty tough assignments. Uh, Arthur Smith said that he felt this past game was his best, uh, you know, so far since he's seen him in Atlanta, or I guess the best he's looked period, including training camp against Aaron Donald. So, I mean, the talent may not fully be there to where they're winning, maybe despite some of the deficiencies that we're seeing, but they're kind of minimizing those deficiencies and maximizing the advantages that they do have in really unique and creative ways. And that is keeping them very buoyant in, you know, the competition level against other teams. And I'm curious to see if that ever does go away. What does this team look like? You know, if if that, if the offensive line has a bad game, if the receivers start dropping passes when Mariota hits him in the hands, if he starts turning the ball over at a rapid rate, like the, the dam's going to collapse at some point there, but they're doing a very good job of not killing themselves in those certain areas. And that's allowing them, I think, to make the sum of the individual parts much greater. And I expect that to continue throughout the year. So for that reason, yeah, I think they're far and away better than they were last year at 0-2 because I 
kind of never knew what to expect from Atlanta last year. This year, I at least go into a game kind of saying, okay, I, I kind of think that they'll give them a fight. Against Seattle, I think Atlanta should definitely win this game. Uh, spoiler alert. But I just expect them not to make a fool of themselves. And kind of for the last couple of seasons, you know, the fourth quarter of, I guess, week one aside. Wow. But um, <laughs> I, I just don't think they're going to be having too many moments like that this year is, is what I'll say. Yeah. I do think that they're better. Um, I think the Seahawks game is going to gonna tell us a lot. You know, if they will. crap the bed against the Seahawks, you know, lose to one of the other worst teams in the league, um, then I think, you know, people will quickly abandon any sort of hopes they had for this team this year. Um, if they well, take you, care so of you business. Wanna, yeah, yeah, you want to talk about a, a big question. I'm literally in the midst of writing this piece for the Falcolic, which will yes. go up tomorrow. This Good week's plug. big question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so to, to give you guys all a sneak preview, I don't know if I'm allowed to do this, but Dave, you're not on here. So, uh, you know, find me later. Yeah, suck it, um, Dave. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's going to be basically like, can the Falcons take advantage of the birdie opportunity in front of them? And the whole golf analogy, it's like not every single hole is going to be a scorable hole, but this one is for the Falcons. This is the Seahawks. You guys are in the same level of competition. A lot of people consider you to be pretty much equivalent teams at this point. You've played well against two teams considered superior. Can you absolutely not just beat a team that is your, like, but can you lay it on them? Can you be the best of the bad teams? And by a wide margin, and we're going to get that that answer on Sunday. But there you go. I'm plugging plugging a piece for tomorrow. So read that if you, uh, if you feel inclined. Yeah, great work. Great work on the plug there. Definitely check out that piece and the site, thefalcoholic.com, guys. Um, Yes, good good time for me to plug everything else. Please like and subscribe if you haven't done so already. Click that bell button to get notifications when we go live. Appreciate everyone for hanging out with us tonight. Um, you can also support us on Patreon if you're so inclined. Patreon.com slash Live. Early access to all the podcast versions of the episode for those of you listening to the audio. Uh, it should be up the night before most times uh, on Patreon before they go up on the podcast platforms in the morning. For those of you that work overnight or that just like to have stuff as early as possible. I know I do with some of my pods. Um, yeah, guys, really appreciate you. Thank you. Speaking of donations, uh, George Costanza with his two $3 donations. Thank you, George. Uh, it was like a longer thought. So uh, I'm going to read out his whole uh, thought here for us to, to break down. He says, using my logical fan brain, I understand that patience is needed with this coaching staff and that we are building something for the future and that we also need to give them the benefit of the doubt and, trust the process. However, the fact is this coaching staff is proving to be inept at utilizing the talents of Kyle Pitts. Not sure why they can't scheme to get Kyle Pitts more targets. Something has to change. Otherwise, why do we take him fourth overall? So who wants to tackle the Pitts discussion? Uh, this is, this is for my, like, I'm going to make this, this meme. It's just like the, you know, the two, the two like arms, you know, given a big, you know, handshake. And it's like one arm is like fantasy football players and the other arm is Falcons fans. And in the middle, it's, you know, getting Kyle Pitts more targets. So like, we all want this to happen. Why isn't it happening guys? Somebody, somebody tell me why anybody, I don't care. I don't care who you want me to say, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I, I would like to say that, uh, I wouldn't be completely shocked if I uh, if it's revealed that George is uh, Kyle Pitts's agent, just given how uh, <laughs> might be, and just given from from the very beginning from from the draft process. George, we love you. 
Um, I always make the joke because of George, nobody covered Kyle Pitts more than, than this show did uh, throughout that entire <laughs> process. Yep. Um, but yeah, uh, honestly, like Kyle Pitts has looked good in the other facets of the game. Uh, yeah, he's been like a good blocker, which is nice. He, he's been a good blocker. <laughs> he, um, yeah, you know, he, he, he drew that pass interference penalty, but I I agree that it it seems inexplicable that I I don't know why why Kyle Pitts only got what three targets last game like or, all right at, at least in the first game he was tied for the team lead with seven targets yeah. like, like that that I can accept it, it just wasn't happening but you you took Kyle Pitts as the highest drafted tight end of all time he's your best player you know uh, I I'd say the best player on this offense well, without much of a doubt. And, you know, I, I don't, I think he, he needs more than three targets. Like I get it. He's, he's getting, he's getting added attention. He's uh you know, teams are double teaming him, but shit teams are double teaming Cooper cup too for, for the Rams. And they're scheming him open. Like he had 11 catches this past game. Uh, You know, you saw what he did against the bills. Teams are, are double and triple teaming Justin Jefferson down in, down in Minnesota. Like you, you have to, especially as an offensive coach, you have to scheme, you have to scheme your, your weapon open. And, you know, I, I don't think we've seen much of that. I, I think Kyle Pitts needs his own set packages as well, where, you, you know, he is the first read. Um, But, you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully we'll see some of that based on Arthur Smith's press conference or, or his interview today, it's, it sounds like um, it, it sounds a lot different from uh, his comments on on Sunday about uh, this not being fantasy football, and you know, we'll we're gonna go out there and, and do what it takes to win, but we haven't really done much winning these first couple games. So <laughs> you know, let, let's try something different and, and get the ball in, in Kyle's hands, and you know, maybe maybe we win that way, but. Yeah, I, and, and and I mean, I, I get it. Like, Marcus Mariota isn't someone that's going to be taking those deep shots, and Drake London has looked so good in the middle of the field, like, through those first two games. Like, he has looked well beyond his years. But I feel like we can still have Drake London thriving while also having Kyle Pitts thriving as well. Like, I refuse to believe that this is only a one or one or the other you know, type system, especially when, when these two guys are, are clearly by far your best weapons. Um, and I'm not saying all, always just like force the ball to Kyle Pitts the way that, you know, Matt Ryan sometimes used to force it to Julio Jones and that Steve Sarkeesian year. But make something like make, make a pick play, make some pick plays for him, you know, throw him a tight end screen, do something to get the ball into your playmaker's hands. Yeah. I mean, I agree. It's like, Right now, they're they're sort of lining up Kyle Pitts and saying, go beat somebody. And, like, that's fine. That's what you're going to do on most plays with most of your guys. But, like, he's good enough that, like, you – like, just get him opportunities. To, like, we – like, find a way to get him the ball. And I think part of it is Marcus Mariota's style, right? Like, they're having Kyle Pitts go deep a lot. They're having Kyle Pitts, you know, run these more, like – lower percentage routes. And I think Mariota's style isn't really to target those routes frequently. I think he's more likely to take the check downs and take the intermediate stuff as opposed to the deep 
opportunities. We have seen him throw a few deep stuff, and like on that one that Pitts was, you know, drawing, drawing the interference on, but that's not really his style. So I feel like part of the reason he's getting fewer targets is because those high value, low percentage routes, Mariota just doesn't prefer to throw those. He prefers the intermediate to short stuff. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's not really emphasizing Kyle Pitts, who has basically been a deep threat for this offense, which I, I think is also an indictment of Arthur Smith because Kyle Pitts can do so much more for you than just be a deep threat. Um, they haven't really utilized him on like much short stuff or in-breaking stuff. Like Kyle Pitts could be just as good as London or you know, some of these other guys on like slants and stuff like that. Like he's a huge body with a huge catch radius. You know, you can target him in lots of areas, but we're not really seeing any easy looks schemed up for Kyle Pitts. Like we've seen more of that for Drake London. And right now it seems like the, the offense is sort of content to just, just pepper Drake London with targets and be like, okay, Kyle Pitts is getting all the attention. We're just going to, we're just going to target Drake London. And like to Drake London's credit, he's like making defenses pay, but like Kyle Pitts still needs to be targeted. Like you could like, is, is he really just going to be a decoy for you most of the time? Like, I feel like we have to do better than that Kyle Pitts, but um, yeah. I don't know if he's just going to only be a decoy. And no. again, I, I really expect <laughs> that's unfair to say, like, he's not just a decoy like that. Right. Because like he is, he is still adding value in the certain ways that he is, but there were, there were at least a handful of plays that I saw going back and, and looking at it where, you know, Kyle Pitts was running some relatively short things. You, like there were a handful of quick outs. Um, it's just that there was also a quick, it was kind of like the mirror patterns on both sides. And Marcus Mariota took the snap and looked in Drake London's direction and in Cordero Patterson's direction. And he's just not looking kind of where Kyle Pitts is. There are also a couple of, you know, all the receivers were running some variation of a, of a button hook or a, a curl or something. And Kyle Pitts ran it to kind of the curl flat zone in the middle of the field. And who's there, Bobby Wagner. It's, it's like the looks are there. And I do think that they are incorporating him as a route runner, you know, to the level that they've wanted to the last couple of games. But to your point, they're not like scheming him up. It seems like he is just one route among three or four on any given play. And it's not like, you know, when, when, when the Bills are running a play, like Stefan Diggs is usually going to be their first read. When the Vikings are running a play, Justin Jefferson is going to be their first read. Cooper Cup, all these great players, and Kyle Pitts should be among them. He should be the first read. And yes, if you want to allow a defense to take him away or you want to say like, well, the defense is dictating where the ball's going, I would counter with how many times did we watch Derrick Henry run into nine-man boxes in Tennessee? You know, like you you've had a history of going to the well that, that is your best well over and over and over and over again. So that is why I, I do still say it's a long season. I think that this is a little bit of in the first game. I think that it was so much hype and expectation for Kyle Pitts that they were actually smart to not use him at all. Like I kind of think that that caught the saints by surprise a lot in the first half and had a, you know, a good deal of, of success for Atlanta this week. Again, when you're losing two games by a combined five points, Maybe your best player could help you. Um, you know, maybe he could be the difference there. And that is where I think this particular week, they really could have benefited from Kyle Pitts a bit more. Drake London had a great game. I think Kaderic Hodge had a great game. Um, Alameda Zacchaeus got a touchdown. So it's like they're getting contribution from the other guys. So maybe if Kyle Pitts is truly drawing that attention, 
then the other guys are at least benefiting from it. It's just that going back and watching it, I didn't really see four guys just following Kyle Pitts around like they're the secret service. You know, it's it was individual matchups at times. It was against zone defense at times. It's more, I think, a combination of where the ball's intended to go and where Marcus Mariota is deciding that the ball is going. So I don't know if the coaching staff, they are certainly using him in pass protection more in some of these longer two-man long developing routes to really sell that play action run. Um, however, I don't think that they totally didn't use Kyle Pitts at all on no. Sunday. It was to me, it was more Marcus Mariota and where he decided to go with the ball. Um, but again, that's why I say it's a long season. Let's, let's get a four game sample size before. Now I, I have him on my fantasy team too. So I get it guys. If you've lost two games because of Kyle Pitts, you're probably not feeling great right now. And you're probably a little bit pissed. That's just a separate conversation than how the Falcons are choosing to use him one week. Again, I think they purposefully hit him a little bit. The second week, I think it was another issue. It's just in back-to-back games, and they're the only two games that we have. Now it seems like a crisis. I expect that to not be the case moving forward. Yeah, and the Falcons have also gone up against two teams that have really good safety play, you know, with the Saints and the Rams having you know, two of the best safety groups in the NFL, even without Marcus Williams. The, Dude, the Rams safeties are awesome. Yeah, they're elite. So like, those are the type of guys that are going to really limit Kyle Pitts, especially deep. You know, they're going to make sure that he's covered up and make it. And I, and Mariota, I think to his credit and to his detriment, like he's not going to chuck it up into those tight windows downfield. Like that's just not really his style because I think he doesn't want to get the turnover and he doesn't. And it's like, he's still new to this offense. I don't think he necessarily trusts himself to place that ball where it's going to be a a touchdown for Kyle Pitts and not a pick. Like, I think he's, that's why I think he's leaning more towards the short to intermediate stuff that could change as the season goes on. And these, these guys get more comfortable. Um, you know, you know, everyone's like, Oh, well, McVay's getting cupped the ball a million times. It's like, well, yeah, but like Stafford and cup have played together for over a season now. Like they clearly have that chemistry. Um, and like McVay is just really good at getting, Cup is a slot receiver. He's really good at getting Cup lined up against the third corner or the the linebacker. And like you, yes, you like Pitts should play more in the slot. Like they've played him a lot out wide and they played him a lot as a tight end. I don't know why they don't use him more in the slot. You know, I think Kyle Pitts against the slot corner is just a huge mismatch most of the time. Um, there's just not a lot of slot corners that are going to be able to match up with his size. But this is the complaint, right? It's like there you can line up Kyle Pitts literally anywhere on offense, and we're just seeing him lined up outside as the number one receiver most of the time, and it's like, sure, he's good enough to, to play there, but is that an advantageous place for him to play? Like, I don't know. Put him in the slot, shit. Like, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm convinced that if Sean McVay had Kyle Pitts, he'd line, line him up in the backfield a couple times. <laughs> yeah, why not? Like, yeah. we're getting schemed up plays to Parker Hesse before we get something for Kyle Pitts. No, not meant as Parker Hesse slander, but, like, you know, just, like, we're, we're drawing up stuff for, like, the fullback and Parker Hesse, and, like, where's the Kyle Pitts play? Like, can they we get something Parker drawn up Hesse, for him? Dude. They lo- they're, I, it's, a pro- it's starting to be a problem because... <laughs> <laughs> it's like we're seeing more Parker Hesse packages than Kyle Pitts. So well, like... <laughs> well, who, was the, who was the guy that Dirk Cutter couldn't get enough of the tight end? Oh God. Um, um I, I mean, it, it was Tyson Brelo for a, for a couple of plays actually. At one, Austin point. Hooper. We should have brought Austin Hooper back. I miss him. Yeah, but, it uh, was it second stint Dirk or was it first stint? Second stint Dirk. It, it was. I mean, it wasn't Luke. St- no, Luke Stalker wasn't. Maybe it um, was Luke Stalker. 
No, no, maybe it wasn't even Carter. It was um. Was it Levine, Toy Lolo, and Kyle? <laughs> no, Love me some Toy Lolo. Yeah. <laughs> no, no Toy Lolo slander allowed. I, I'd never talk bad about Levine, Toy Lolo. Eric Saubert having a career renaissance in Denver. It, it, it yes. was. It wasn't even Dirk. It was um. What was it? Lee Smith last year, who whom we were. Oh just yeah, like, yeah. Lee, oh, yeah. Lee Smith targets. Yeah. I, I don't no know Lee Smith slander either. Yeah, there was there was some blocking <laughs> tight end. I'm convinced that it was it was during the Dirk Cutter era. Where Bear Pasco. Yeah. Yeah, he was oh, yeah. the legend who always gets like 20 hits every single yeah. week, every single day. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was gonna say the highest grossing like article, you know, the Bear Pasco signing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, on, on Falco. I think we're still getting like a few a day. On oh that. yeah, 20, like 20 a day. Everybody's everybody's into Bear Pasco. Probably reason. still it was. Probably bare Pasco, just like going back and clicking on it over and over again. Um, but yeah, no, maybe it was Tyson Brello to be honest. We were steeping, steaming <laughs> up like for Tyson Brello at one point. Um, but yeah, like use your weapons. Um, do, like you use the. I appreciate that uh, Kyle Pitts is becoming a better blocker. <laughs> he, he's not here to be a blocker. You didn't take him fourth overall to be a blocker. Um, you know, you didn't pass up on on the quarterback prop and on Michael Parsons to to bring in a blocking tight end. Like we, I have expectations of Kyle Pitts to to take over that mantle that Travis Kelsey has as as the best tight end in the NFL relatively soon, even. And you know, uh, I feel like he needs to be put in position to do that by the coaching staff. And you know. Use your playmakers. Get the ball into the hands of your best players. That's that's what the Bills are doing with Stephon Diggs. That's what the Rams are doing with Cooper Cup. It's what the it's what the Chiefs are doing with Kelsey. It, it doesn't matter. The Chiefs wide receivers aren't really that scary this season. They're still getting the ball in Travis Kelsey's hands, despite the fact that defenses are are focusing more on him. Yeah, because the wide receivers aren't anything to write home about now. So, <laughs> you know what? You know what I saw the Raiders do this past week against the uh, against the Cardinals. It was on, I think, first and goal. They had Darren Waller lined up in the formation, and then they had him motion out as the only wide receiver on the left side, one on one. And then they threw it up to him on a fade route, and he caught it for a touchdown. I know because I went up against him in fantasy football and I was watching that play <laughs> happen live. So that was very yep. infuriating to me. But um but basically like do get the ball into your playmaker's hands is the moral of the story. Yeah. Like there should be no excuses for that. Yeah. We we gotta find a way to get Kyle Pitts involved. Like uh It's Kyle Pitts, get him the ball. Yeah, it it really shouldn't be this complicated, you know? It really shouldn't be this complicated. Um but yeah, uh, anything else you guys want to add before before we wrap up this episode two eleven? Oh, two eleven already, huh? I know we're just flying through the the two hundreds already. We'll, we'll be a five hundred in no time. <laughs> yep, it doesn't seem like the Falcons will be at five hundred anytime soon. But you know, we'll get to five hundred episodes maybe yeah, before they then. haven't been since I've been writing for the site. <laughs> no, they were five hundred a couple times they, last yeah, year. They were five hundred. Yeah, yeah. They just didn't get a winning. They haven't had a winning record since you got here. So that's I blame Adnan for that. Not for even sure. for a day. Like not even for one single day have I been able to enjoy the Falcons having more wins than losses as a Falconholic writer. Yeah. Should have traded it's all you. Fault. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's not much for me though in fairness yeah that, that 
unfortunately. Um, but yeah, at least at least we're not Nathaniel Hackett. Like we don't have Nathaniel Hackett as our head coach. I think Broncos fans are already plotting rebellion there. Oh, so if you thought I was like upset after that week one, like <laughs> can you imagine if, if if Arthur Smith pulled out Nathaniel Hackett shit to line up a sixty-four yard field goal for Young Waku? Like despite I'd understand the- it, and I would congratulate him for the right decision. Young Way Koo can do no wrong. <laughs> well, yeah, you know they didn't have Young Way Koo though, so that's why. Except for missed that field goal, dude. And <laughs> and the Seahawks, the Seahawks like did not look good last week at all, and the no. Broncos lost to that team. Like the Broncos that, didn't look good either. They barely. I know pulled. that's that's what I'm saying. They're in rough shape. Yeah, yeah, they, they were getting booed like that was their home opener. They were getting booed like throughout throughout that game. Yeah, Nathaniel yeah. Hackett kind of looks in over his head. Uh, Are you saying he's a hack? The easiest fruit there was like, he can't hack it. How yeah, did you? you oh my God, you... you're right. Wow. That's even worse. That's even more embarrassing on my part. Um, thank yeah. you, Will, for, for saving us with that. that was, at least you got, you got the layup. I, I, I just like put the ball in. It just went right off the backboard. And I think yeah. and you, you picked uh, it up. And all right. I think making Nathaniel Hackett name references is our cue that, We've been going on. Yeah, we've been going on too long. All right, so for sure, uh, <laughs> started thanks, with guys. Rick and Morty and yep, with Nathaniel yep. Hackett. <laughs> yep, he can't hack it. So yep, um, yep. Good time. Good time to wrap the show here. Uh, first of all, thanks to our guest Will McFadden. He is at Will McFadden on the Twitter. Uh, host of the Believe in Falcons podcast. Will anything else you'd like to plug? Uh, just be on the lookout for uh, the this week's big question coming out. I guess tomorrow and then. You know, normal weekly cadence got three up, three down Mondays after the games and takeaways right after the game. So there we go. That's it. Excellent. Excellent. Definitely check that stuff out. Also with us tonight, uh, Nanikic at Say Which Way. Uh, done anything you're working on you'd like to plug? Uh, yeah, series history uh, is going to go, I think, on Saturday. What if the Falcons win or lose is on Sunday before the game. And then I have Fantasy Stud and Dud going. Um, every monday afterwards so check that out excellent excellent yeah guys i am kevin knight at alcoholic kevin you can check out uh i'll have the i'm doing our picks posts so you can check out all of our falcoholic picks uh over the next couple days i'll have thursday night and then our regular picks i've got uh five questions with the seahawks blog field goals coming up soon got the game preview that will be coming out on friday i'm going to be joined uh since alan sterk is on vacation this week I'm going to be joined actually by uh, Seahawks linebacker Lofa Tatupu uh, to oh, preview the yeah. Seahawks game. So, and no uh, offense to Alan, but that's a, that's a much bigger <laughs> game. <laughs> I ditch. Alan was gone. It's like, all right, Alan, I'm replacing you with a player. Sorry, bro. You know, that's how – no. Uh, thanks to uh, to, to, uh, for, to Lofa for uh, for reaching out about that. Uh, I'm excited for Wait, that. Um, he did. Uh, well, his representation, you know. Oh, yeah. oh shit. We have players reaching out to us now. I know, yeah. Yeah, and I have, like, well, it's not a sponsorship or anything of the sort, but I, I you know, do have something, you know, potentially cool to announce uh, or to at least talk about on the show uh, probably soon. Uh, it's, you know, that's just, like, a fun thing. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see when that arrives. Damn. But it's beer-related. If You guys probably saw it on the on the Discord if you were. That's, uh, that, that's a great tease right there. Yeah, but great yeah. tease for some beer-related fun stuff. Uh, that'll Kevin, probably... are you buying me beers? I'm not Thank buying you, so you beers. I'm having beers bought for me, you know, so that is. <laughs> and then sharing <laughs> them. Buy and shipped. Yeah, you know. 
much less exciting. Yeah, um, I, I think Adnan's less interested in that, uh, which is totally fair to Adnan. So, but uh, yeah, players are reaching. We don't even need Evan anymore. So I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yep, we just cut him out entirely now. So uh, no, shout out to Evan. Uh, all right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Like I said, like and subscribe if you haven't done so already. We really appreciate. Uh, you guys helping us out there. Leave a comment if you're so inclined. Uh, you can also check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash Live. interested in supporting the show on that basis. Uh, yeah, guys, we will see you. Uh, Friday will be when the game preview launches, and then, of course, Sunday after the game for the post-game show. Until then, guys, have a great night. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time here on the Falcoholic Live. Have a great night, folks.